Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Founders in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight through a product lens on some of the exceptional startup founders we have as part of the LA community in an unedited one take organic conversation. With us in the studio today is Eric Wengrowski. Thanks for coming down, Eric. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Oh, this is going to be exciting. I, I, I love what you guys are working on. So I'm excited to chat more with, about, with you about it. But first, a word from our sponsors. Founders in LA is brought to you by Unita. Unita Club is a co-working space that sets itself apart. With locations in El Segundo, Manhattan Beach, and Hermosa, Unita is where creativity flourishes. Unlike traditional offices, they provide an inspiring environment where ideas can thrive and businesses can grow. With Unita, there's no hidden fees, flexible terms, options for dedicated offices, and unlimited access to conference rooms, a photo studio, this podcast studio, plus standard and 3D printers and 24-7 access to any of their locations. They're local champions who support neighborhood businesses, open their event spaces to nonprofits, and to celebrate art, music, and culture. Join Unita Club and experience co-working like never before. Learn more at www.unita.club, www.unita.club. We're also brought to you by the Product Manager Association Los Angeles, available at pma.la. They're the largest professional organization for product and designers in LA. With more than 5,000 members from over 500 companies, they host monthly meetups, organize the Product Leader Council, have a, a uh, mentorship program where they connect working product managers with students from underrepresented groups to build a better, more diverse next gen, and are hosting a conference dedicated to AI where they're focusing called LA Tech Connect, where they are providing AI's influence on the workflows in product, design, engineering, and technology. Uh, be hosted at UCLA at November 9th. Uh, for more information, go to latechconnect.com or pma.la. Our guest today is Eric Wengrowski. He's the founder and CEO of Steg AI. Eric, can you just give us a 30-second description of Steg? Sure. Thanks for the intro. So um, Steg AI makes invisible forensic watermarks, and we do that to help protect and authenticate digital media assets. So uh, anytime you have a picture or video, uh, we can embed information in it that you and I can't see, but it is visible to our algorithms. Wow. All right. And so in this world of, of generative AI and the, all the tools that are coming out, people can manipulate anything, like not anything, but actually, I guess anything. They can manipulate images very easily without having to have the skills of Photoshop anymore. Uh, the importance of knowing what is real and what's been deep faked is incredible. So is, is this kind of one of Steg's wheelhouses? Is this like a solution? Not probably not your core product, but it's probably a, your, one of your abilities is to say, hey, this is the real deal. This isn't something that someone else said you know, uh, I forget what the the great example before it was like the Pope wearing Nikes or something like this is not legit. The puffy jacket or the something. The puffy jacket. Yeah. yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, generative AI is like a super interesting space. And, you know, as you said before, the, the fear back in the day was always, okay, people are going to use Photoshop to make, um, you know, imagery that looks convincing, but is, is inauthentic. And we actually saw that like uh, state actors would do this all the time. You know, you would see uh, tanks uh, photocopied essentially on a beach. So it looked like an army was bigger than, uh, than it really was. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, that's been kind of taken to the next level with the democratization of these 
really powerful generative AI tools that kind of allow anybody to do this. And, you know, what we've seen is that seeing is no longer believing. It's not good enough just to, you know, take an eyeball to a photograph or a video and say, hey, you know, is this real or has this been manipulated in some way? Um, you know, the technology has gotten to the point where it's not easy to make that uh, 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 judgment call. And the technology is going to continue to advance, right? Uh, generative AI is only going to get better and better and be more and more convincing. So, you know, the way we look at it is it's, it's not enough just to um, know whether or not something is uh, inauthentic or came out of generative AI or Photoshop versus, you know, organically came out of a camera. Um, we just want to be able to provide information to the end user might be a publisher, might be somebody, you know, reading the newspaper, uh, exactly where these assets that they're consuming came from. So they can make a call as to, you know, is this something that's trustworthy or not? So it's, it, there's a slight distinction between, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a, you know, I'm identifying that this image is a deep fake and therefore it's dangerous and, you know, don't trust it at all. There's lots of legitimate use cases for uh, generative uh, media, but, um, we're kind of just helping the world understand where those assets are coming from so they can make those judgment calls for themselves. That's fantastic. And I think we're from you know, looking at the site as well, you, you also deal in the kind of watermarking for files, not just photos and videos, but I know when, when I was, you know, worked at some of the big entertainment industries, one of the challenges was how can we prevent these things from getting out to other people and how can we, maybe know whose version of the copy, whose version went out and things I'm specifically thinking about is like, uh, when things are up for when movies and TV shows are up for nominations, uh, back in the day used to, they used to have DVDs they would send out, but then they moved it to digital, but then you get really close to that line of, you know, who can download this and use this for, for good and for, you know, for your, for your, uh, consideration versus who's going to download it for, for profit. Totally. I, you know, you're reminding me, I remember when I was a kid, I would go over a friend of mine's house would always get bootleg movies and, uh, the Oscar copies were always the good ones. They were the <laughs> high quality ones. It wasn't just a guy with like a, a camcorder in a movie theater. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's leak protection is a big part of our wheelhouse at Steg AI. So, um, you know, we want to provide a way for our customers to uh, secure their digital library, to share it, you know, use their existing work streams, work with the teams that they're used to working with, the software that they're used to working with. But know that if those assets get leaked, we can say who's responsible. And we're doing that now. That's incredible. And I, I believe that, you know, that your your logo is a, a stegosaurus, but uh, the, the origin of the, the name is, is part of actually the product, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, a silly little joke, but the, um, the technology that powers our product, <clears throat> excuse me, is called steganography. Steganography. Yeah. And steganography is the art of hiding information within another medium. Um, so yeah, you know, when we were just coming up with ideas for team names before we even, you know, formed a company, we started playing around with, uh, you know, using a stegosaurus and, uh, 
we were originally going to call ourselves Stegosaurus AI. And then a friend of mine texted me, um, hey, how's Steg AI going? And I was like, that's a better name. We're going to use that. <laughs> so just via text. Yeah. <laughs> Company name via text. Just laziness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't need to go too deep into the technical, but the, yeah, the idea of steganography is that you're hiding it almost in plain sight. So it's instead of, you know, showing someone a code, you're like, oh, this is a code I can break. It's actually hidden within the image within the file. So it's, it's not blatant saying, Hey, this is something that you need, you just a code you should crack. It's a safe you need to open. You may not even know it's there. And that's part of the, the beauty of, of what Steg is able to do. Yeah. So, you know, there's kind of two concepts that you're talking about. There's steganography, which is information hiding. And then there's cryptography, which is information scrambling essentially. Um, and you know, really in our products, we use both, but our core technology, you know, that makes us unique is, is our steganography technology. And, um, you know, steganography has been around for a long time. It's actually kind of an ancient art. Um, and watermarking has been around for, you know, 30 plus years in the, the digital world. Uh, what makes us unique is, you know, our, all of our tech is based on uh, deep learning. So we mm -hmm. don't, uh, you know, come up with rules about how we're going to hide information. We train algorithms that do that. And um, we do it in such a way that uh, we make sure whatever we're watermarking, whatever our steganography is, it's going to be very robust to the changes that occur throughout the life cycle of an asset. That sounds like a lot of jargon, but really it just means I'm going to watermark a picture and then that picture is going to be compressed and, you know, other things are going to happen to it downstream. I still want to be able to get that watermark out later. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the key pieces for us is doing this in a way that's invisible. So we've actually developed our own algorithms also based on deep learning that, um, uh, model the human vision system specifically for watermarking steganography. So we can make sure that, you know, when we're training our, a new algorithm, uh, we know that it's going to be, uh, perceptually, uh, very clear for people. And, and, you know, you and I can look at these images and not see anything there. That's, that's fantastic. Um, how did you get here? How did you come to start this company? Uh, do you want to hear the long story? Uh, let's go for like the mid version. We, we got like a 30 minute podcast here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so I did my undergrad at Rutgers. I'm, I'm from New Jersey originally. I was hence, hence the, uh, the, the bootleg videos, <laughs> <laughs> Jersey pride. Um, so, you know, while I was there, I, I didn't know how to program, uh, coming into school, like a lot of my classmates did. Um, but I liked computers. I was interested in computers and electronics and just wanted to kind of focus there. I didn't have to take so much chemistry courses. Um, and I was always really interested in entrepreneurship at the end of the day, I, I thought it would be fun to kind of work on something for myself rather than, you know, get a, I didn't know any entrepreneurs, but it just, you know, seemed really appealing and cool to me. Um, so, you know, I get through undergrad. I, uh, I didn't actually like electrical and computer engineering much until I discovered a class called robotics and computer vision, where okay. all of a sudden, you know, Eureka, it, it, you know, it was a, it was a real profound moment for me where I was like, oh, this is why, this is why we're learning all these different concepts. I, I can see how, uh, uh, really how the mechanics of the human brain decision-making work, you know, algorithmically really appealed to me. 
So um, with my professor, uh, I worked uh, on a kind of senior design project with her and said, um, she asked, you know, what what do you want to do after you graduate? I said, well, I'm going to start a company. She's like, cool. Um, But, you know, you, you only have an undergrad degree. And, you know, what nobody tells you when you're going into undergrad is, you know, you, you come out knowing what you don't know. Right. You know, you, you don't come out uh, being able to, you know, rewrite Windows operating system yourself or anything like that. So she's like, why don't you become a technical expert? And, you know, to do that, why don't you join my lab as a Ph.D. student? And so that was uh, Kristen Dana, um, who uh, later became my co-founder at Steg AI. Oh, wow. So, um, so I joined her lab. I, I did a PhD. Um, you know, my first project was all about, you know, how do we hide information in images and then have these, these images, you know, go on screens and transmit this information through light and pick it up with a cell phone camera. I thought it sounded really hard and really cool. Uh, so I picked it as a project and I, I didn't know that uh, I'd end up spending six years of my PhD <laughs> you know, continually working on new versions of the technology, refining it, publishing papers, you know, eventually getting into some really good conferences like CVPR. And then at the end saying, you know, I think there's something here. I think, you know, there's a way for us to productize this. And, you know, maybe maybe this can be a, a startup idea. So um, we enrolled in a program uh, called uh, i that the National Science Foundation runs. Okay. It's really designed to get scientists and researchers out of the lab and to talk to people in the real world um, and help you make decisions about product market fit uh, and hypothesize, you know, if you have a potential product and what it might look like, who you might sell it to, all these kind of the the early formations of a, of a startup. So I did that. I formed a team with Kristen and uh, Roan Baldwin, and uh, they became uh, the first people uh, after we graduated that program, after I finished my PhD, that uh, I started Steg with. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, kind of a long circuitous journey, um, but uh, it's been really interesting. Every step of the way, every step's been very different. Well, it sounds like it, it combined, you know, two passions. You said you always had an interest in entrepreneurship and then you just kind of like found something that you've, a solution or a problem set or a problem area that you're just like, this is, this is fascinating for me for at least a paper. And then you kept building and the more you dove into it, the more it drove you. And then at the end of it, uh, it makes sense that that's, that's the direction you took. Um, so how did you go from, you know, now PhD went through the program to finding your first customers? That that's a big question, right? (laughs) I think, you know, I, I came out of grad school anticipating that, you know, I've got this technical knowledge. I know how to program now. Um, but I know machine learning, I know AI and computer vision, you know, really, uh, at the, you know, still, and at the time kind of very exciting fields. Um, but you know, there's a big translation between, uh, putting together a state of the art technology and, uh, productizing it. Right. And, you know, the first thing you need to figure out is, you know, who, who really wants this? And uh, I think one of the biggest learnings we had through i um in doing customer discovery, we ended up uh, speaking to over 200 different uh, people to test hypotheses and product market fit, is that um, lots of people are like, yeah, that's cool. 
<laughs> but that's that's actually not what you want to hear. Um, you know, that's a that's a soft no. That's that's a maybe. Uh, you know, once we really started talking to professionals and, and drilling down into, you know, what does this person, what does this individual really care about for their job? Uh, we got better at, you know, figuring out, uh, okay, you know, who, who's, who's a potential fit down the line? Who's not a fit? Who, who's a fit right now? Who's got a, a big shark bite problem that we got to stitch up or, you know, who's got their house on fire that we need to put out. Um, and so, I became active in a couple of great uh, trade organizations, one being the Digital Media Licensing Association, DMLA. Mm. And um, just through that, I uh, was referred uh, to uh, our first big enterprise customer uh, through one of my colleagues there. And I can't say who it is because we're under NDA with them. Right. Um, but it's it's a company you'd recognize. Um, uh, I've actually seen some of their products in this building. <laughs> Um, and I mean, that was a great, uh, kind of learning opportunity for us, right? Like, you know, finally finding, uh, the beginnings of that product market fit with that customer, um, testing our own hypotheses on like, okay, you know, what are we building? What do we think people are going to want? What do we want? Um, and then, uh, you know, getting that validation and learning more and then saying, okay, how do we do this for the next one? And the one after that. That's phenomenal. So it came, so what, part of what it comes down to is, you know, the 200 customer interviews, right. Or, or testing hypotheses with different folks to, to identify, you know, is this a good fit for you? And then it also comes down to joining a professional trade organization and finding someone who could be a champion for you. And then they connected you with, with one of the right people. Yeah. I mean, I think too, like, you know, I, Coming out of the the academic world, I, I really didn't know much about what most people's jobs were. <laughs> like I knew I knew what programmers did, right? I knew what like machine learning scientists did, and then I kind of had like a vague idea of like what accountants did. You know, like I had no idea what product managers did or or you know uh, biz dev people or or any anything like that. And it was really through that process of, uh, you know working with really fantastic mentors and um, like Ron and Kristen and uh, talking to so many different people, so many different, you know, professionals that they were able to connect me with and that we we're able to find uh, really learning what these jobs are and kind of figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we navigate, you know, this space and how do we talk to the right people and, you know, who are those people? What, what's the profile for them? That's, that's phenomenal. And, you know, Congrats on where you guys are right now. And it sounds like a, a terrific history, but also a, a very bright future. I think to your point, uh, the, the need to be able to have these watermarks and to have them be difficult to crack or difficult to even find uh, is only going to be you know, exponentially more important uh, in the next few years as the ability to create content uh, the bar is lower. And so, you know, all of, I'm just thinking just in terms of like, you know, scammy stuff, which is way below what you're doing, but you know, scammy stuff is going to get way more realistic and way hard to determine if it's real or not. And to your point, uh, you may not even be able to trust your own eyes to some extent. You actually may need to have a technology help you believe what you're seeing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, for a long time, people 
you know, only had to consume and make judgment calls on so much information, right? Like the, the bandwidth for people to, to process information is, you know, relatively narrow, but because as you said, like content has become so cheap to produce and, you know, social media has like really supercharged, uh, kind of bombarding us with content. I think we need more tools to help us, um, you know, make the right decisions, uh, you know, stay safe online. Um, you know, I think like when imaging technology was first being developed, it was all about how do we make pictures look good? You know, how do we make it so I can send it between my computer and my phone and, you know, it won't be huge, right. <laughs> or, you know, it, it won't take forever. And, you know, I think we've largely solved those problems. I think now it's more, you know, how do we... <laughs> How do we construct an ecosystem that's more livable, uh, that's safer? Um, and so I think like the, you know, the next wave of, uh, of technology and tools in this space is really, you know, designed to address that need more so. Well, thank, thank you so much again, Eric. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you guys are doing some important work and excited to have you as part of the, the LA ecosystem here uh, and, and, you know, grounding this in Los Angeles love to, to end with you know, asking you what's what's your most LA thing well uh, the first thing that came to mind is you know we're actually based in Irvine which is in Orange County and having to explain that we're we're just south of LA and not in <laughs> LA is is my prototypical LA experience um, but uh, maybe it's being able to go to Taylor Swift concerts at SoFi Stadium I mean that's pretty good too uh, and we're recording this not long after the Taylor Swift mania. There's three sold out nights at SoFi and it felt like the entire city somehow managed into that one stadium in the, in the course of three nights. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Eric. Uh, our guest today has been Eric Wengrowski. Uh, the company is Steg AI available at steg.ai. Um, like to thank our sponsors again, PMALA and Unita. Like to thank you all for listening. And if you, you enjoy what you're hearing, please smash that subscribe button. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Founders in LA.